Hello. Welcome to Breakfast at Cinema's podcast series Cinema My Child and Me where Abhinav and Shibangi share film recommendations appropriate for all ages and some ideas on how to use this collective film viewing experience to help initiate conversations with your children or students to help them learn in a fun manner. We would like to state that this podcast is meant to be a guide for parents or teachers to engage with children in a different way. While we are going to be careful about recommending movies appropriate for all ages, we request you to explore these films by yourself first to check for anything which may trigger a difficult or unpleasant emotion in your children because of very specific circumstances. The films we talk about here are our personal selections for each episode's theme. Cinema My Child and Me was created on Hubhopper Studio. If you wish to start your own podcast for free, visit www.hubhopperstudio.com. Hubhopper is India's leading podcast creation platform. Start your podcast with Hubhopper Studio and get your voice heard across platforms like Spotify, Ghana, Google Podcast, Wink Music and more. Click on the link in the episode description or visit www.hubhopperstudio.com. Visit hubhopperstudio.com. Hello, welcome to our year-end special of cinema, My Child and Me. We're so excited to be talking to you about a movie that reiterates what we all learned this year. Frank Capra's delightfully sappy It's a Wonderful Life. year that has affected everyone in ways none of us could have imagined before we all read about kindnesses of absolute strangers towards each other or even experienced it firsthand 2020 was also the year when we were compelled to feel grateful for everything we have as opposed to being grouchy about what we are lacking it was a massive surprise for me to know that it's a wonderful life was not even a hit when it released in 1946 a whole other story about the film's ownership and copyright issues led tv stations to airing it frequently 1974 onwards when its copyright didn't get renewed because of a clerical error making it a popular watch for families especially during the holidays it helps that the story takes place over the course of christmas eve and is all about the christmas spirit of giving loving and miracles the movie opens with a conversation in the heavens about a man on earth named george bailey for whose happiness and safety a lot of people seem to be praying this particular christmas eve clarence an angel in waiting is told george's story up to this point and assigned the task of stopping him from giving up the greatest gift he has which is his life about 3/4 of the movie is a flashback acquainting us closely with george his childhood his good nature his dreams his compassion for others and the sacrifices he has made and the risks he has taken to get to the point where he is being driven to end his life in the hope that it will help solve the problem at hand Clarence has such a grip on how to tell George how precious his life is. He only needs the last one-fourth of the movie to finish his assignment in style and earn his wings to become a full-fledged angel. It's a Wonderful Life is a deeply emotional film with excellent humor. James Stewart stars as George Bailey and Gloria Reed as his wife Mary. Clarence has been made legendary by Henry Travers, who played him as a sweet, funny, awkward but really smart angel in waiting this is considered one of the greatest films of all time and was nominated for 5 academy awards including best picture it has been recognized by the american film institute as one of the 100 best american films ever made and is number 1 on its list of the most inspirational american films of all time capra and stewart have both revealed that this was their favorite among the films in which they have worked in 1990 the film was designated as culturally historically or aesthetically significant and added to the national film registry of the library of congress the movie is available to watch on dvd and blu-ray 
Abhinav, can you please share what were the first impressions you had about the movie? In a year filled with discontent, apprehension, anxiety and complications that life is going to bring to us in future, the film goes back to reassert that it is a wonderful life. There is a lot to be said about the simple life, the honest life, the life that exists as part of a whole. As the fabric of a small town is laid bare in front of our eyes through the reluctant hero George Bailey, we realize how intricately lives in such quarters are intertwined. They impact each other and the health of the community is reflected through the health of the individual. Just like India of the 80s, this town works so that the genuine happiness of the individual and his life and his simple dreams of bread, clothing and shelter are fulfilled. The Buddha's ideal of Bodhisattva, where a soul about to achieve Nirvana comes back to help all the people achieve Nirvana around him, is at the center of this film. His goal becomes that of the community, a sense of contentment in the ordinary, in the mundane. With George Bailey, we get to see a celebration of a life lived for the fulfillment of others, for the service of the community and for helping in holding off the powers that chip away at the world. As the year is coming to an end, we all must look back at the simplicity of how we connect with each other and discover how our life is a wonderful life because it impacts the lives of so many others. I particularly love the flashback device in which the angels who are depicted as stars or a cluster of stars up in the heavens, they're talking to each other and they show the turning points in George Bailey's life to Clarence, revealing who exactly this George Bailey is and why so many people love him so dearly to be praying for him so ardently. Now, Clarence at this point in the movie is the audience's stand-in. He is being told the story of George Bailey and as audience, we also feel that we are getting to know the story. So he is acting as the audience in this part. That seems to be a very huge uh, responsibility on the shoulders of the audience. Yes. That they ought to become the angels in and, the lives and, of so many others. Right. And just as the <clears throat> other two angels are starting to show the story, they say, oh, wait, we forgot you're not angels. So we have to make this visible to you. Slowly, the image fades in from blurriness. There is a lot of clarity that appears in front of us. And Clarence says, oh, yes, I can see it now. And which is also to say that, dear audience, so you are also all angels in waiting. If you can look at this story the way Clarence is looking at it and if you approach others' problems and try to help them out the way George does, if you can help somebody achieve that potential, then you are as good as a Clarence who will become an angel when he fulfills his assignment. That I really liked. This particular scene also demonstrates what we always talk about, that every person is a product of the sum of their life's experiences. So if you have to understand George Bailey, you go and see him today as he is, you may not know his history and so you will not know why he is the way he is. So for example, when George Bailey towards the end of the movie is so desperate that he begins to get angry and begins to lose his temper about everything, we see him starting to lose his temper and at that point in time, if you meet him, you don't know who the real George Bailey is. To understand who the real George Bailey is, you have to see the moments in his life that have shaped him. It is funny because one wonders if this is exactly how angels communicate with each other, you know, as stars in the sky. But it also piques curiosity about George Bailey as a character. And the second thing I really liked is the film leaves you feeling happy and hopeful. It stays with you. If I have to paraphrase Jack Nicholson's lines from the movie, as good as it gets, the movie makes me want to be a better person. That's the magic of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, and I think uh, especially in these times when... TikTok sensations and so many other ways of becoming famous and notable uh, personalities is available to us. This film talks about the content of those lives that have to become famous. That's right. I think the fantastic contrast between George Bailey's character uh, who never ends up leaving his town with that of his younger brother, Harry Bailey, who becomes a national hero in the war. So there is a whole lot of limelight available to the younger brother. But we see in the end how everything turns around to the point where being famous or being appreciated by a community that might or might not know you is of no use to you as a person. The only people who are allowed to give a comment on what you are as a person is the community that has been dealing with you since right. childhood. Right. 
so this idea that somebody sitting in north america might appreciate what great dancer i am in india might not be a fulfilling idea because they don't know the circumstances we exist in right so this i think becomes all the more relevant in the kind of times we are living in today right and if you notice abhina there were so many people who were trying to bring us good news through the pandemic uh, yeah. john krasinski's mm-hmm. some good news was one of those attempts yeah. where you know one did not have to die to service the others or one did not have to put in too much trouble to service another person but it was just basic acts of compassion basic acts of kindness basic acts of reaching out to somebody and saying hey if you need me i'm here that is be- what was warming people's hearts all the more basic and acts of uh, listening to one another I right think. and it's a great thing that we discovered these small things during the pandemic and which has helped us feel grateful for all the small things that have made us happy through the year which has actually not been that great for anybody i think yes the prevalent themes that you have been able to observe in this film abhina what are they i have picked out two themes that i thought were very interesting and i think it connects with a lot of other films that uh, we might have seen from that era i think the film was highly reminiscent for me with the film the night of the hunter especially in, at the point where we see the derailment of the world that doesn't have a george bailey the film is so old that we can uh, i think afford to get into spoilers so all of you who listen to us know that we have to talk about some of the spoilers to really get into the the fabric and the details of the film that we are talking about there's a point when clarence with his smartness just presents this idea which almost all of us while growing up at some point in our life have uttered this statement that if i was not born what difference would it have made to the world uh, in some form or the other even as a 2 year old who was rejected for 2 seconds because the mother was busy with somebody that could also lead to the child thinking that uh, why was i born to the point where a 100 year old is not satisfied not happy with the outcomes of their life and therefore have the similar question of why am i born i think the film focuses on that idea as to why you are born and why human life is about despair human life is about going through all that and finding the joys between despairs at the center of this film is this idea that i cannot really find happiness unless the world around me is actually a better place how can i be so selfish to aim for that fantastic meal that i can have once in a week compared to so many other people who might not get anything to eat during that week and i think this particular idea wherein repeatedly through the film we get to see george at those critical points where he is going to something which he believes to be the idea of happiness for himself and takes a pause precisely because there is a much larger value in place that the society will crumble that the society that he has emerged from will crumble and therefore he will become useless in the process my capacity to relate with this film was greatly because of the fact that i am a strong believer in karma in the most simplistic definition of karma which is what you do will come back to you what goes around comes around and i cannot find a more classic example of that saying than what really happens in this film the story is one that we have heard many times over the character of george bailey he's so deeply grounded in providing dignity to everyone around him he is so down to earth that even the heavens feel compelled to participate in his life to help him when the time comes throughout the movie george gives all of himself in every relationship he has he gives to his brother harry the pharmacist mr gowers the migrant who's trying to make a living who's trying to accomplish the american dream mr martini all the people for whom he has built houses for uncle billy mary violet big whom the city or the town in fact has started to sort of ostracize and look down upon because of her choices and actions but he doesn't expect anything in return he never says okay i'm doing this for you and you just do this back for me there is he, a great sense of responsibility yes. resting on his shoulder because of the values that he has grown up with yes he only performs these actions of kindness so that he may sleep well at night a clean conscience is everything to him just like his parents taught him he has seen his father do the same mm. and even when he is faced with the direst of consequences he does not approach anyone for help because he doesn't feel entitled to it he thinks he has performed his duty and he thinks everybody should just perform the duty in the same way but he does not expect anybody to come out and look out for him and do things for him 
he doesn't want to burden anybody with what he perceives as his own failure. Uh, one may note that it is actually not even his failure, but his uncle's uncle Billy's, because he's the one who loses the money. But George is so clear about his role as the owner of building and loan. He knows he is the one who's going to be accountable for the missing money. He knows he is answerable to the authorities and to his customer and not Uncle Billy. It is this lack of entitlement which is making him such an endearing character in the movie. And I think it's very interesting that as we are talking about the burden of his responsibility, the kind of values that he espouses, the film at no point, except for the last few scenes, tells us that his existence is morose. In fact, he's actually had a very happy life. As we see through the eyes of... uh, the angel Clarence, we realize that this is the kind of life we would have wanted for ourselves as well. Where there are strong connections with community leaders, where you find a lot of love around you, you find women who are contemporaries of your mother who are available to you like mother figures. All this exists in a happy milieu. Yes. Whereas the idea, I think the burden that we are talking about comes from the simple fact that whether institutions are created for service of human beings or vice versa. True, exactly. It is no surprise that the whole town gets together in the end the way it does. You know, one knows right from the beginning that that is exactly what will happen in the end. We know what the story is all about. But the when and the how of getting to the climax is the really interesting part. All the love and happiness that George has shared with the townsfolk comes back to him in the end. Harry, his brother, who has become a national hero because of his participation in World War II, in the climax of the movie has just flown into town despite a blizzard. And it's because his sister-in-law, Mary, has sent him an SOS telegram asking him to come in because George is in trouble. And he has just received the Congressional Medal of Honor from the President of the United States of America for his service in the war. And even he knows that despite everything that he himself has achieved, What George has in the support and the love of the people of the town is most precious. So in the end, when he raises a toast to him, he says to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. And it makes me cry with joy every time because I cannot agree more with Harry. That is the sort of richness that I also aspire to. I think you have hit the nail on the head when you're talking about the word richness. And the film keeps debating the idea of what it means to be rich. So there are two counterpoints of the story. At the one extreme end are the simple town folk who don't even have the capacity to dream of anything beyond the daily meal that they are able to gather for themselves. To that community living on this extreme, building and loans as an institution comes as a saviour. It comes along as an institution that says, I don't care about what part of the society you belong to. You, just like everybody else, have a right to dream for a house for yourself. And on the other extreme is Mr. Potter, who is a representative of bad parts of capitalism. Capitalism that stands on somebody's neck and creates something for its own prosperity or popularity. Where the class divide is just far greater than anywhere else. I think the film is repeatedly asking this question that being rich like Mr. Potter, who has a lot of money, but still, when he has to defeat someone, has to steal in the process. Right. Somebody who owns all the banks, who owns all the bigger institutions of this uh, town, has to steal money so that he can drive a supposed enemy out of business. And that tells you what the negative aspects of capitalism could be all about. And the kind of capitalism that is practiced by George Bailey, you see how... He finds a way to loan money to Violet Bick, as you're talking about. And in the life, when we see George Bailey being absent, we see what that capitalism that Mr. Potter is trying to bring into town could have done to this town. Wherein on the main street, when anybody used to walk earlier, people would be able to recognize each other. People would stop and have conversations. To the point where when George Bailey and buildings and loans don't exist, we have a scenario where women have turned into commodities, everything is out for sale, and even mothers have to turn their houses into boarding house and have to be wary of who knocks on their doors in the night. We see scenarios where best friends are actually very wary of strangers walking into town when capitalism has fully taken over. And we see all of this happening in our towns as we 
who might have once seen the life of the village where we could walk into anybody's house and have food without worrying about what they will feed us whether they will poison us and so on to the point today where we don't even talk to our neighbors because we don't know what kind of demands and requests they might have so capitalism in its worst form is represented in this film and is also represented in its best forms and right. the audience is asked repeatedly the best form which at that time interestingly was uh, quote unquote qualified as versions of socialism or communism uh-huh. and how so many such ideas then went out of american cinema to the point where we have a journey towards a batman who brings in all his money and treats the evils of the society with the money right. that he has right so this counter narrative of what kind of capitalism should exist for the people is a very interesting one in my opinion it is a relentless theme being driven throughout this film through the various motives that are these being used. these two schools of thought that you just pointed out are also brought to a head on when george billy goes to mr potter for help and he says you have so much money you possibly cannot think that you are taking it with you when you die yeah. why don't you use it to help someone and, and he says i don't care about anybody else and i'm not going to sit here and take lessons from you absolutely. who is always in trouble because he doesn't worry about saving anything for himself i think it's a very beautiful way of showing who is richer in this case i doubt if ever mr potter were to be in george's situation the whole town would come to save him absolutely and also i find it very interesting that migrants and the lower economic class so to say who has suffered because of the war or who have found it difficult to earn the kind of money that they would ideally like to they step out of a locality called potter's field to go into their new homes which is in another area altogether and potter's field in english language is commonly understood to be a graveyard for vagrants for people who have no homes or those who cannot be identified for beggars and all so you can understand where these people are the kind of situation they're living in when they're living in a place called potter's field and it is also i think a link to this locality having been created by mr potter yeah the direct connection between what mr potter is doing to everybody who he's needs land death. he's bringing death to them he's bringing vagrancy he's bringing in homelessness desperation. desperation and those people before they end up dying they're nameless and without any kind of recognition or dignity george puts in his own money to bring them out of there into a life full of dignity again to say that what i am is what you are the sense of equality because you are a human being and i am a human being irrespective of where we are born who our parents are and who our neighbors right. are and that idea is very interestingly i think you now look back at the entire year of cinema my child and me you will realize that these are the principles of existence that we have been talking about right. we have been talking about empathy we have been talking about friendship we have been talking about perseverance we have been talking about finding purpose all these ideas in many ways actually culminate into what we are reviewing today that it is a wonderful life the other point that i saw this movie making very strongly is that one man can hold a community together by being an exemplary citizen so we've already talked about how great george bailey is and how not great mr potter is very evidently this aspect of a man holding a community together is seen when we see what bedford falls would have been like if george bailey were never born yeah so there is ample evidence of his quiet but steadfast leadership throughout the movie where he always stands up for others as well as for himself yeah. as a young boy he does it for his father as well when he sees mr potter making weird allegations against his father now he is the one who trusts everybody he believes that every person has a capability to be kind and human towards each other and because he demonstrates this towards others the others feel like reciprocating in a similar way where they end up trusting each other in the small ecosystem that he has built around himself he can rally them anytime he wants because they are genuinely interested in what he has to say they don't just stand there and watch because it's a performance they stand there and watch because there is content there because there, there is, is substance there there is connection with and the people yes around. they really value the advice that he has to offer now the small but heartwarming ceremony which he and his wife mary perform every time a family moves into one of the houses he builds for them is an example of caring for the community and affording basic human dignity to them now he leads by example he doesn't only do big things he also performs his duty as a citizen like not delivering the poisoned medicine prepared accidentally by mr gower he also understands that this is a genuine mistake because mr gower at that time 
was upset. He had just lost his son. He had just received news of it. He also goes out of his way to help Violet Bick move to New York City, where he feels she might have a better life than the one she has right now. His own financial situation is unsteady, but he doesn't think about it even once because he thinks even Violet has the right to live with dignity. Early on in the movie, he's seen putting himself in danger as a child to save his kid brother's life. And he loses hearing in one year, but he never complains about it. He never talks about how his life is rotten because he cannot hear in one year. I think that's a very significant point that George Whaley has always taken action based on his conscience. Exactly. And therefore has never turned around and said, I did this because of that circumstance. I did that because of that. These are my actions and I'm living with the consequences of this. Absolutely. Which means that I cannot hear out of my left ear. Fine, I will live with that. So either I choose to complain about the fact that I cannot hear with my left ear or I choose to live with the fact that I did everything that I have been taught and I'm happy about that. The happiness of saving his brother is higher than the sadness of losing his hearing. Right. And he doesn't later on in his life come back to it and saying that, I have given up my hearing for you and therefore you must be doing so and so for Right, me. right. Which is actually really important. More than that, today we are talking about living our life and fulfilling our dreams, which is all great. You and I, we always run this statement with a caveat to our students that, you know, yes, you must fulfill your dreams, but you also must understand that there is a responsibility. And that your Fortunately dreams, or unfortunately. And, and that your dreams cannot become nightmares for the others. Right. So the very fact that George gives up his lifelong dreams of traveling the world for the sake of his father's legacy first, second for his brother's future, and then he stops complaining about it altogether because he understands that it will happen sometime whenever it has to. And it's not like he is not resentful. There are moments when we see him going through that. There are moments when he ends up kicking the car when he sees that an opportunity has passed him by. And there are moments when we get to see him seeing his best friend, Sam, making it big in business and becoming a millionaire with the plastic industry, which interestingly was his own idea. All of this, he has reasons, ideally speaking, to be resentful about. But I think what he relies on for his strength is the fact that these are my decisions. So whatever is the fallout of it, I'm going to handle it. It's my problem. So I may have a slightly different opinion on that. The fact that these actions come to him as naturally as breathing. I don't even see him having to stand and make a judgment call about whether he should do something or not. It is just inherent to him. Uh, In fact, in that scene when George Bailey is exiting building alone, with his last exclamation or last uh, address to Potter and the rest of the board, you see a close-up of his face and the secretary stepping out and saying, the only reason they will let building and loan live is if you continue to be the chairman. Yeah. And you see that split second sadness, that split second, oh my God, my life is going to change now again. Then his resolute face, which says that this is my father's legacy. This is what I'm going to be doing. Right. There is just an acceptance that somebody else has a shot at a better life. He might as well do everything to help. He never is seen to be resenting anyone. Or he doesn't blame anyone for his situation. He might envy them, but he never wishes them ill. People who know look up to him. So it is no shock that the town comes apart when we see the situation where he's not born. There is no one to keep people together. No one to show them the value of being nice to each other. And no one to go to when one needs help. People do not trust anybody. People do not trust each other. And that is why Bedford Falls becomes... Bedford Falls. Yeah. Alright, Shibangi, why don't you talk about some of the things that appeal to you technically in the movie? The film was originally shot in black and white and later was colorized. There's a whole other story that is there where Frank Capra himself had hired two people to do the coloring. They found out that the film's copyright has ended, so they decided to go ahead and do it by themselves, kicking Frank Capra out of the whole process and not giving him any say in it. So I have watched both the versions. While the color version is nice, it's friendly and may be a good way to pull children into the world of old films, I genuinely believe it looks far superior in black and white because that's where the perspective is, that's where the depth of uh, field is, that's where you are getting to see the contrast more beautifully. For example, when we see a very distraught George Bailey 
realizing that his options are narrowing down and he might have to go to prison he might have to lose his wife and children there's a darkness that falls on his face which is not that clear in the color version but is very clear in the black and white version and you can see this darkness and this play of light and shadow on his face very very clearly in the black and white in version in fact there is a conversation between george bailey and his father frank bailey happening at the dining table it's a funny uh, nice conversation with the maid hovering around them trying to find out the gossip that is being exchanged and you see the lamp shade right. uh, hanging over the dining table right see this is where we talk about what choices the director makes frank bailey the father his face is lit it's totally in light and there is not a shred of doubt going through his mind right. as he has dedicated his entire life to buildings and loans not that he did not have his own dreams to fulfill not that he did not have things of his own to do but he uh, dedicated his entire life to buildings and loans and the clarity of that action is very very clear in that scene whereas when george bailey is asked what do you want to do and he says that i want to roam around the world you see the dangling light on his face with the shadows over his face and you realize that while he's talking about this dream of his he's actually not sure of his actions there is the doubt of what will happen if i go away what will happen to the world that is actually been giving me a whole lot of safety and security for all these years and repeatedly whenever he has to make the choice so to say we see the shadow coming in and which is very very clear in the black and white version doesn't become apparent in the colored one very at all true. the other interesting thing i found out while reading about this film is now there is a lot of snow that happens in that key scene where george meets clarence for the first time there's almost a blizzard and that is where the night ends with a blizzard being announced through which harry flies and comes back to town now films made prior to this one used to paint single individual pieces of cornflakes white and dropping them from a height or in the area that was being shot for the falling snow effect this is what used to happen because cornflakes were so loud as they fell they created a sound and you couldn't walk on them because every time you walked on them they would make a crunching sound and no dialogues would be audible especially if you were recording in sync the dialogue had to be dubbed in later so frank capra wanted to record the sound live so he spoke to his production designer he spoke to everybody else who was responsible for making this happen and a new snow effect was developed they used fomite which is a fire fighting chemical that you see in the fire extinguishers they used soap and they used water to create a foam which was then pumped at high pressure through a wind machine to create the falling snow effect which is why you also see it flying horizontally giving the impression of a blizzard where heavy winds are also blowing 6000 gallons of new snow were used in this film to show that particular scene where you know everything is just under snow the effects department of the studio RKO which produced the film received a class 3 scientific or technical award from the academy which became the invention of new snow which then was used for the longest period of time for all kinds of films and you would actually see this difference between the black and white and the color version when clarence is being saved by george right. in the black and white you are not able to make sense of it you only can make it out as the surf in the black and white version but in the color version you get to see it as soap water uh, <laughs> and and that i think takes away from the film so better to watch the black and white version one of the technical things i'd want to talk about i think as far as the script itself is concerned there is a phenomenal level of consistency maintained wherein if i have to just sort of give it a random number and say there were 20 sequences that complete and come together as the film almost all of those sequences are by themselves a storyline within itself wherein it starts off like a story and then climax is also like a story so for example the scene where harry comes back from his education with a girl that he has married we get to see this when harry arrives at the station with george bailey and uncle billy bailey waiting to receive them and we see that harry has arrived with a wife you can immediately see in the story that george was waiting for harry to take over and go on his holiday so that's the beginning of this story wherein george's holiday plans are under question are difficult to, uh, to execute and followed by that there is a scene where at the home where harry's coming home is being celebrated uncle billy is drunk and leaves home you see a pensive george bailey standing outside resting on the fence kind of contemplating what his future is going to be about and in walks his mother 
to tell him that you know Mary has come back to town. If you have to just look at these three scenes which play out in the sequence, you will realize the third scene is where he goes to meet Mary, and it climaxes into him eventually proposing to Mary and getting married to her. So if you look at just these three scenes, within this these three scenes there is a conflict. uh there is a uh, analysis of the conflict and then there is a resolution of the conflict by saying right. something else is going to happen right. so we know that george's plans of traveling the world gets put on hold but his new plan of getting married and raising a family are executed in these three scenes right. so similarly throughout the film i think that is the brilliance of the script that you have these setups and payoffs setups and payoffs happening and within the sequences you are kind of fulfilled that this particular thing has been resolved let's move on to the next thing and it is amazing that he finds a soulmate like mary who on their honeymoon they're planning to again travel and on the way he realizes that there's a crisis at work without any question without any conflict crossing across her beautiful face mary just does what she's supposed to do just like what george is supposed to do mary also and i think this particular conversation will take it in our favorite scene uh, but george and mary are very interesting to look at as far as technical brilliance is concerned i think the film uses music camera and the brilliant performances to accentuate all the action to keep us on our toes we know what the film is going to end at we also know where it has begun there is no surprise as far as the story is concerned but the storytelling keeps throwing up surprises and i think that is the brilliance of this script coming to favorite scenes and as we have segued into the beautiful relationship between george and mary i think it's very very interesting that we spoke about mr potter earlier the villain to george's story is mr potter and everybody can clearly see the villain plotting and doing things against the system that george bailey has set up but i think interestingly the counterpoint to george's abilities or whatever george has been able to set up george's thoughts his ideas his dreams is his would be wife mary for me the favorite scene therefore is that sequence that i have described wherein we see a distraught concerned a pensive george bailey leaning against uh, his fence trying to figure out what his future action is going to be about because harry is not going to take over the business he is not going to relieve george to go and live his dreams uh, harry has other ideas and therefore george will now have to figure out other ways of doing things you see george's mother stepping in and saying that mary has just come back to town and this i think is probably one third of the film is already gone and we have seen mary only twice so far in the film once as an extremely cute child who will spend an entire day staring at george in the shop rather than decide whether she wants to have chocolate shake or vanilla shake and another time when they danced together and pretty much brought the town to a halt with their performance in both these interactions we see the reluctance of george bailey to accept somebody that he is clearly smitten with to accept the idea that settling down means giving up on something else that he has been dreaming of on both these occasions you see him flirting with the idea of flirting with mary coming back to then saying that no this is not what i want to do i want to do something else i want to travel the world i want to get a college education i want to build things i want to become an architect and in this scene where george's mother points him to mary and say go and talk to mary she has come back to town after finishing her college Uh, we see george wandering about the town a little bit concerned whether once he goes near mary i think he is very very clear that his escape is not possible after that you see the way he proposes to mary the reluctance to even say that he is here to see mary and ask her out on a date and ask her to get married to him is so so high that he ends up in a fight with her and then they get emotional and i think it is a brilliant scene where the contradiction the conflict of george's personality versus the calmness the contentment that a mary brings to the table is so clear she to... brings his energy down to a level where he can process his thoughts better yeah. i also like the fact that uh, when george is so reluctant to propose to mary and mary is feeling offended that she can talk about it so openly but george is so reluctant 
I think the mother character that is there at that point, she adds a lot of comedy to the whole very intense vibe that the situation has. When you watch it the first time, you are not even sure as to how did this proposal come about because the entire conversation is not even going in that direction. Then you watch it again and you realize that Sam Wainwright's phone call at that point turns George into a jealous person. The mother's reluctance to let George and Mary talk to each other turns George into a rebel lover. And you can see that this is meant to be. They are destined for each other. But their own personal requirements might be pulling them apart. I think that contradiction, that push and pull, the cuteness with which they fall in love or rather accept each other's love is brilliant. One of my favorite scenes in the movie happens rather early on. It is when a young George stops Mr. Gower from accidentally poisoning a child with his medicine. George works at uh, Mr. Gower's pharmacy. He serves the ice cream. He serves the soda pop and everything there. And he also occasionally delivers... He's the errand boy. He is the errand boy. He also delivers medicine whenever anybody needs it. On this particular day when he has just come in, Mr. Gower is very grumpy and grouchy. He says, you're late. And then he starts getting on to his work, uh, George. And then George is starting to talk to this girl who has been sitting there quite some time, which is Mary. And she's like, she can't make up her mind what kind of ice cream she wants. She also finds a space where she tells George, you know, I will love you forever. And she makes sure she tells it near his deaf ear so that he won't listen and won't react. But listening to these kids talk, Mr. Gower gets angry again. And this time when we see his face, we can make out that he's been drinking, he has been crying. There are tears streaming down his cheeks. After this, George discovers a telegram which has informed Mr. Gower earlier that day that his son has died. George feels so bad about it. He can understand the kind of pain that Mr. Gower is in. He goes to console him and ask him if he can do anything for him. Mr. Gower asks him to deliver a packet of medicines to somebody whose son is sick. George realizes that Mr. Gower has accidentally added poison to those pills. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to put Mr. Gower through any more distress. So he sees a poster that says, Ask Dad, he knows. He runs to his father. There he realizes his father is caught up with something else that is also busy, which is when he stands up to Potter saying, my father is not a crook, my father is not this, my father is not that, you don't know anything about my father, you can't talk about him. And then he goes back to the pharmacy when Mr. Gowd has just received a call from the customer who has been waiting for the medicines. Without knowing what has happened, Mr. Gower, in his state of confusion, in his state of anger and rage and unresolved sorrow, starts to hit George across his face. And he accidentally hits his bad ear, which starts bleeding. And George has not recovered fully from it yet. George also says, you're hurting me, Mr. Gower. You were doing something wrong. And then he points out, he shows the bottle of poison, which was accidentally added to the medicine. And Mr. Gower immediately falls on his knees, hugs this boy and apologizes profusely. Later, when we look at the kind of life that this town would have had if George were never born, we see Mr. Gower as an ostracized man who's made fun of all the time, who's kicked about, who's told all sorts of humiliating things just because he killed a boy accidentally. Nobody would have gone back into his story as to why that happened. What what would have happened would have been wrong, but nobody would have tried to get into Mr. Gower's mind space during that time. He also spent time in jail, apparently. So all of this lays George's character for us so beautifully and his ability to go out of his own comfort zone to help somebody else, to try all kinds of avenues, to even reach out to his father to understand what should be the right course of action at this point. I think it's a beautiful summary of who George is. My second favorite scene is the wedding night scene, which follows the first scene that I talked about. After that, they get married. Just as they are about to leave on their honeymoon, the town is going through a financial crisis. They have $8,000 that they have saved up for their honeymoon. Mary steps in and without a crease of anxiety or worry on her face, we see how she parts with her money and goes home. We don't know where her home is actually. So as the crisis is dealt with by the building and loan people and George is happy celebrating at the end that still $2 remain, that scene by itself is a lesson on how you can sit and lament about uh, bad luck or you can look at the glass and say, oh, there is still some more milk in it. Out of those, whatever huge amount of money that was available to them, only $2 remain and very proudly, George and the rest of the employees walk into the 
locker and you know celebrate and you see how that flows into george's realization that he just got married in the morning his wedding night is due and you know his wife must be waiting and he doesn't know where the wife is because he hasn't found a home yet they still had to figure that out he gets a call from his wife asking him to come over to a place an address that she gives him and this is the old haunted house of the town wherein george had promised once to mary that he will lasso the moon it's the same house that mary has bought we see george bailey excited at the prospect of this adventure that he has been invited into by his wife excited at the prospect that the wild ideas the wild thoughts that he had for example when he speaks violet. with violet earlier he also asks violet to take off their shoes and go walking in the meadows and that is his idea of right. romance violet is not interested in that idea of romance she wants to go to the movie she wants to eat ice cream and she wants to make merry you see then how they are soulmates for each other they have found that life together in future is going to be an adventure that they will lasso and manage with that wedding night scene we get to see the importance of george's friends how they step in and take care of whatever mary has planned if we are in love with each other then we will find that a shack or a palace on the other hand could bring equal amounts of love with the kind of small things that we get to see with this scene it becomes another favorite though you would find that i have talked about two romantic scenes uh, in a film which is not about romance interestingly <laughs> although i can't help but figure that uh, george may have lost his wits about him had it not been for mary's presence in his life i don't know maybe george would have gotten tired if his wife was the sort of person who demanded for things who asked for luxuries and all that but mary i think is also a perfect fit for george because she participates in his life she participates in his attempts to provide a dignified life to everybody so whenever george has to help a new family move into a home that he has built for them both of them go in together they take the whole family in their own car to their new house and they do this smallish ceremony in front of everybody else uh, where mary always hands over bread to the lady of the house saying bread so that this house may never know hunger salt is the second thing she hands over and says salt that life may always have flavor and then george pulls out a bottle of wine and hands it over to martini saying and wine so that joy and prosperity may reign forever it is a very simple thing it is a very standard thing that everybody does when they enter a new home but for them to do this for their customers you think about it we go and buy a car now in a car showroom and the showrooms in india will do all sorts of puja for you will give you flowers will yeah. help you cut a cake and they help you celebrate it's a celebration of the achievement of a life milestone yeah. Yeah. which is what these two people do for others it doesn't cost them anything how much would a loaf of bread cost how much would a jar of salt cost yeah. maybe a bottle of wine costs a lot but that's uh, think, the only in the, investment in the end i think in the larger scheme of things i don't think they look at their customers as customers yes they look at a community wherein they are providing a service right and the moment that definition changes wherein we are the service providers for the community versus we are the uh, business owners and these are our customers the community runs because of us yeah so we are the business owners and these are our customers and that whatever happens to our customers is because of us are two absolutely different viewpoints and we have found so many organizations in the pandemic right. who have been walking with the customers making efforts with the customers and suddenly those customers saying we will never leave these people and on the other hand we have experienced other kind of organizations that are only looking at profits and uh, profiteering in this scenario right. and we know that today we might not leave them because they are monopolies tomorrow we might end up leaving them it does not extend only to customers but also to their own employees yeah i also wanted to make an honorable mention of a scene where clarence has already jumped into the river to get george's attention george is forced to jump into the river not to kill himself but to save somebody else who's in danger so clarence knows the best way to appeal to george to not risk his life is to risk his own life and and clarence actually states that when they come back to the lighthouse right. clarence states that saying that uh, i knew you were going to jump in to save me so i had to jump in this scene in the lighthouse where they're drying themselves up drying their clothes and warming themselves up this whole conversation that happens between clarence george who's just not ready to accept that clarence is an angel he just thinks clarence is a madman who's claiming to be an angel and then there is the <laughs> lighthouse manager for the lack of a better term who's just so confused by the conversation that's happening it's hilarious and i think talking any more about it is just going to let out spoilers you must watch the scene yourself and enjoy the dialogue right
similar films abhinav i think this film plays fantastically as a prequel to an animated film we love and uh, talk about almost in all our episodes a film called up by pixar if you have seen up have not seen it's a wonderful life you will get to see the first 20 minutes of up as one and a half hours of it's a wonderful life so it's a beautiful prequel in my opinion life of pi very interesting even though life of pi plays out as a film for adults because the protagonist is somebody who is a 15 16 year old boy for young adults that connection of what life per se means could be an interesting exploration so life of pi i think almost all films about teenage love and this was a point i was coming to that this particular film actually can be looked at as a romantic film for teenagers also right because the kind of love that is being shown between george and mary is essentially the kind of love that can exist among teenagers it's mischievous but respectful yeah if you have to learn about love and how to treat the person that you are going to be talking to and want to spend time with this film actually presents it beautifully you can be mischievous but you have to be respectful I have two more films I think I have mentioned the Night of the Hunter earlier right. especially when Bedford has fallen and we get to see Bedford Falls as Pottertown the name has changed and that part actually connects with what happens in the Night of the Hunter where we see the girl from the orphanage going to the city and courting the boys so I think this danger in the 50s existed in US was in the subconscious of the people as to what crass commercialization can bring to smaller towns inevitably there are so many films made around that that it would be a wonderful exploration for you as just to add to this point abhinav i think this movie while night of the hunter is very strong in its christian affiliations where it is although showing how religion can be used to mislead the masses here in this case neither frank capra nor james stewart claim that this is a movie that extols the virtues of catholicism or christianity what rather happens is when james is sitting in martini's bar and is completely disturbed and doesn't know what to do next he is seen to be delivering this line where he says you know god i'm not a praying man but please yeah. show me the way show me the way how to deal with this here it says you may not go to church every sunday you may not believe in a god you may not believe the that external god is appearance judging. yeah you may the... not be god may not be judging each of your actions but there is this heavy faith in something that will show you the way there is this very strong orientation to do good and not just because god will be happy but do good because that is the that better, is a better way the, that is that a better, is a better way. way when i have to look at my similar films i think groundhog day falls in this bracket a great deal so this lead character who's bill played by bill murray he's disgruntled with his life he's a cynic he likes absolutely nothing and he's cursed to live the same day over and over again till he realizes that it is his own actions his own mood and his own judgment calls that make him a grouchy man that makes his life unlivable if he were to change his own attitude he would get to see a different side of life and that would change life for him i see the connection here that if there are good people around life will be good if there are grouchy people around life will be grouchy so it is up to each of us to become a good person halo we've talked about halo in our second episode where we talked about empathy so in this episode of about kindness and gratitude we could not help but throw back to that episode halo is about this young girl who's distraught who's pained by the loss of her mother and she finds joy when she adopts a stray pup but the pup goes missing and in the end when she finds it she finds joy in actually not bringing him back home but to giving it away to somebody else who needs it more that's the act of selflessness that connects her to george bailey third i would like to bring in india's first ever feature film called raja harishchandra made way back in 1930 raja harishchandra is a mythical figure from a hindu epic called mahabharat where the raja himself the king he is so true to his word he is so considerate he is so kind and compassionate that he gives off everything that he can just to keep his kingdom happy just to keep his subjects happy and that pays off in the end when there is divine intervention and he gets everything back that he has given up The final is a complete series of four movies but one of the most popular animation franchises ever called Toy Story where the toys over the space of four movies go from being self-centered to being toys who realize the true purpose of their existence which is to bring joy to children when they realize that purpose their life becomes so much easier i believe the whole series is a beautiful companion piece to it's a wonderful life
questions, Abhinav. What are the questions that you have? I think one of the discussions definitely parents can have is to look at the idea of what dreams are and what reality presents to you and how to reconcile the two. Yeah. In that, looking at an idea which is to accept your failure if it has come around and then plan for the next step. So how do you incrementally change your dreams? Because now that is not possible. What is the closest possible thing? I think that becomes central to how we live our life. If we have to talk about discontentment, if we have to talk about being dissatisfied at the end of your life, then we have not been able to reconcile what we wanted to do versus what we have ended up doing. So that's one of the discussions I would urge parents to have with their children. Second one would be to talk about how to appreciate the unappreciated life, the life that impacts us from a distance, the milkman who supplies milk to us, sanitation agents, the people who have been providing transport for vegetables and fruits and so many other important essential items during this entire period. There are so many people that have been there based on whom we have been able to stand and stretch ourselves. If we are able to appreciate those people, I think we are able to appreciate our lives better. One of the questions I think parents and children should ask each other and talk about in detail is, do you think George ending his life would have made things easy for anyone? Why at all? And if not, then what do you think George should have done instead? I really feel it would not have been too bad if George would have gone and asked for help. It's a problem that George does not ask anybody for help. He could have talked to Mary about what he could do. Not wanting to burden anybody... I see that as a personality flaw, honestly. It may not be a very big flaw. I may talk about it very nicely and sweetly because it doesn't affect me. But it would affect me if George were to bear the brunt of all his decisions on his own. As a life partner, I would like to be part of it. As a friend, I would like to be of help. And as a community member who has benefited from George's kindness, I would also like to give back in some way. But George, also the film is a product of its own time. So, of course, of so course. there are certain archetypes they're following. So when somebody is offering help and when somebody blesses you and offers help, I don't think we should be rejecting yeah, that. We absolutely. should keep it in mind. It is not to say that we should be extracting something in return, but it is to say this is how a community functions. We do something for somebody, somebody else does something for us. Yeah. And not necessarily the same person. Someone not, else will do it. Right. And I think almost all of us have discovered this in our own lives. The people that we have helped might not have come back to help us, but someone else has always been around to help exactly. us. Exactly. The other thing links to one of your questions, Abhinav, which is I would like children to sit down and list things that they are grateful for in their day-to-day lives to be able to show appreciation. You know, it's great to write essays in school that say, oh, I love my mother because she cooks food for me every day. But how often do you go tell your mother that, you know, I really enjoy the food you cook for me and thank you for blessing me with your love every day. I would just like to be an advocate of children and say that this is an exercise that all people should do. All people should do, exactly. Yes. Since these activities, we are assuming, will be adult-driven, will be driven by the grown-ups, I think adults should participate in it as much. Otherwise, the exercise just becomes educational and not educational and entertaining, which is the point of this podcast. Then just listing is not enough. Going and saying thank you is also important. If you want to be thanked yourself, thank others. Exactly. Finally, I would like parents and children to talk to each other about a time that they did something nice for someone but were treated badly for it. So if you had the opportunity, would you do it again? Is the power of a good deed diminished if it is performed in the hope of something in exchange? And when people share details of their good deeds or philanthropic actions on social media, how does it make you feel? How do you think these things work out? Talk a little bit about this. Understand the nuances. Understand You may be doing something for your own comfort, like hosting your birthday party at an orphanage, but how does it make the other children who do not have parents feel about themselves? Does it make them feel like, why can't they have such parties with others? Why can't they throw such parties for others? And so on and so forth. And so, yeah, while the villain of the story is Mr. Potter and the evils of capitalism, the actual counterpoint to George's dreams is Mary's stability. Accepting the happiness that her balance brings into his life and appreciating the treasure it has been is the final turnaround for George at the end. And to discover then that the people that he has helped have kept a log of it and are always willing to stand behind him when he needs help. Uh, It is a wonderful life. Don't just watch the film. Experience it yourself. With this, we come to the end of this episode. 
we are so glad to be talking about a film that continues to inspire even after so many years for a year that has been so awful we really hope 2021 proves to be really happy joyful successful and prosperous for all of you wishing you all the best it truly is a wonderful life have a happy new year thank you bye bye and with that go on lasso the moon lasso the stars lasso the constellations lasso the sun lasso whatever you want to lasso it's going to be your dreams and with all your dreams wish you all a fantastic new year happy viewing cinema my child and me is brought to you by breakfast at cinema working in the areas of education of cinema and education through cinema since 2014 with children and adults of all ages music brought to you by young and enthusiastic supporters of our podcast their love and talent has made this journey all the more interesting introduction music by 10 year old arkansh pande on the clarinet episode introduction by idhya shalab age 10 on the piano and idhan shalab age 6 on the violin closing music by 7 year old drishan pande on the piano we would also like to thank cinema lovers and makers across the world it is their passion which drives us